Welcome back, Intimates. I'm excited to find you experts to talk about love, connection, non-monogamy, polyamory, relationship anarchy, group sex, kink, commitment, and lots of other intimacy and relationship topics. Let's live our best lives together by unlearning stigma and getting clear on what we really want. Don't know what to ask for? I have loads of ideas for you. Of course, none of this would be possible without the support of my amazing Patreon supporters or my current hosts, the Musqueam First Nation on whose unceded lands this podcast was made and this human was born. If you want to support more intimate interactions, you can say thank you by supporting us on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. Patreon supporters also get every episode of the podcast ad-free with short intros and outros. I know funds are not an option for some of you lovely humans, but don't fret, there are other ways you can help out. You can help make more intimate interactions by just telling someone you listen to this podcast. Or if you're feeling especially generous, you can share a link to an episode you like and discuss it with a friend or partner, or even leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting site. Help other humans interested in more intimacy and better relationships find us. If you have your own podcast, shout us out. Need a podcast guest? Email offers to podcast at victorsalmon.com. I love talking about relationships and intimacy, and I love cross-promotion and working with other podcasters. Okay, let's hear about today's episode. Janis Gorstengard, a graduate student with ADHD, chats with me about the pros and cons of having ADHD, and more importantly, this session we move past those to start talking about strategies that folks can use to help offset some of the negatives and maximize more of the positives. Yeah, I don't I don't eat cereal very much now that I think about it. Oh, you healthy person. Mm, I'm more like on the breakfast sandwich train. Oh yeah. Cuz then I'm like bread, eggs, bacon, sauce. All in my mouth at the same time. All I heard was But then I have to make hair, hips, <clears throat> heels. <laughs> or it's hair, nails. It's nails, hair, hips, heels, I think. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but then I have to make the sandwich, and that's a whole. That's a whole thing. Oh, Todrick. <laughs> thank you for that gem. Mm-hmm. I said, Oh, Todrick, thank you for that gem of a song. <laughs> okay. Um, what did you want to talk about this episode? Um, I don't know. I could talk. Ooh, I don't know. Like, we could still talk about ADHD stuff. Yeah, like I could talk about in terms of like being a student, what that's like. Yeah, sure. We can talk about how ADHD affects our life because we talked about like symptoms and we talked about like coping strategies. So we could talk more about like, how does it affect our lives? Yeah, yeah. Sure. Perfect. (laughs) Student with ADHD, go. (laughs) Sorry. Um, hey, did you see that bus driving over you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ouch. <laughs> um, I can also talk first, too. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it's made it very difficult to sit and work for eight straight hours. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had, like, I have trouble paying it. If I, it, so I took classes where there was, like, it was like a one and a half hour lecture instead of a three hour. Ooh, yeah, three hour <laughs> lectures are brutal. Oh my god! And I last class or last semester, we had a prof who just completely ignored like the break time. Oh, so we would have like no. we you do like an hour and a half, and then you do like a fifteen minute break, and then you come back for the the rest of the session. That's brutal. But he would, yeah, and I like and my brain needs a break especially after talking about methodology like oh god (laughs) oh rather do anything else um yeah and so he would just like mow through and so it was an 11 30 to two two o'clock three o'clock i can't remember some god awful time right in the middle of the day um yeah he would just mow through the break time and we would and i remember there's my friend who also has adhd we just look at each other and be like are you dying because i'm dying inside (laughs) i'm so bored oh god i remember that and the like your attention kind of flickering in and out like a almost like a light bulb that doesn't quite work Mm -hmm. like sometimes it's on and i'm super engaged most of the time it's just kind of flashing randomly and i'm like tuning in and out but also thinking about other shit Mm-hmm. Um, that's been like my entire life in school. And I never really realized it. I always thought it was just really normal. 
until I started talking to people who didn't have ADHD and they're like, what do you mean you can't focus for like 20 minutes on a lecture? I'm like, mm-hmm. I can't even focus for five minutes on a video. Yeah, I had to hyper-focus is the only way I could get through science lectures. Yeah. And I just picked a field of study that I found very interesting. And I was really screwed when I found stuff that wasn't. Yeah, same. That's why, I, yeah, that's why I, when I found criminology when I was in, like, 12th grade, I had this sense of, like, oh, this is kind of, this is going to stick around for a long time in my life, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's so diverse, and I just was obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. And that obsession's never really gone away, thankfully. That's the one hyper-focus area where my ADHD has not abandoned it entirely. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, yeah. Computers for me, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. I was that way with um, uh, acting for a long time, like seven years. Um, I'm still that way with writing. Like, I love to write. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can hyper focus and sink into to like writing fiction or short stories really easily mm-hmm. uh, because it's just super comforting and it's creative and there's no limits and I get a lot of it's it's hard work but I also get a lot of reward out of it mm-hmm. so because there's nothing more satisfying than filling up a page with text <laughs> sure I um, I used to write short stories as a kid yeah yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I did it too. I did it. I did it as a distraction in classes that I didn't like. <laughs> That's uh, so good. Because it, yeah, it was a way for me to like combat. It was either I sit there and I'm super bored, or I focus my attention on something else and I look like I'm working. Mm-hmm. So I did it in Mr. Beach's French class all the time. I remember Monsieur Plage, Mr. Beach. <laughs> I love that he, he, he like, let us say his name in French. That was so funny. Yeah. He was one of my favorite teachers and I always felt like such a dick because I just couldn't focus in his class. I just couldn't do it Um, because I just wasn't interested in learning French. It just, and now I live in Quebec and I really wish (laughs) I paid attention, but (laughs) that's okay. (laughs) You're like the archetypal Anglophone living in Quebec that like all the Quebecers are like, you should start every conversation with me in French. Oh. There's a guy, so like I can understand a lot of it, Mm -hmm. but I don't speak it back to people Mm -hmm. and I think it really frustrates them, but I'm also really worried that I'm going to sound super goofy when I start to speak French. I think they expect that. And like the goofier you sound, the more quickly they switch back to English for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I do not have a French accent like at all. Like, oh, you parle comme un anglophone. Yeah. Or like I'll like I'll like freeze up and I'll like I'll try to speak French, but then my brain will panic. Like one time a guy said he said bonjour to me and I went bonjourno and I was like oh, oh wait no, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's solid. And he's like uh, and I was like English please <laughs> please just speak to me in English. I can't do this. Like literally, you responded in Italian and then went nope. <laughs> wrong romance language i just need english thank you when he's like do you speak italian and i was like absolutely not (laughs) it's it's even worse that you started the conversation in italian you don't even speak italian oh that's solid apparently i sounded super formal when i was in quebec i just went for like a really short stint um yeah. But I like it. Apparently I was in a coffee shop and I was like, puis avoir un café. And my, um, my partner's mom, who is like a M- Montreal native was like, Oh God. And like when the server went away, she was like, Victor, all you have to say here is like, est-ce que, est-ce que je peux? like, like, don't, don't say like, puis je. it just sounds so formal. Cause I was like, I was like, do sir, do you have any gray poupon? When I think what I needed to say was like, kives <laughs> of mustard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's how they teach us, right? They don't teach us the conversational portion of it. Right. They teach us, like, the hyper-formal version of yeah. of French-Canadian French, and then most French-Canadians are like, what the fuck are you saying? It's so like, true. Like, ah, this is useless. I'm like, ah, oh, but it makes so much sense to me with the, with the, the grammar and the tenses. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Whereas, like, the French that I hear is so much more casual. Right. Um, yeah. I, I think I tried writing an email in French to my supervisor one time. And she wrote me back with, "You did it. You did okay." 
And I was like, well, you might as well just stab me in the chest because that really hurt my feelings. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, I was trying. Trying to write in a language that I don't speak using Google Translate. Oh, God, that is rough. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely gives you empathy for all the folks that don't speak English as a first language who come over and are trying to speak English and are just like struggle bussing their way through. I'm like, yep, I have so much more empathy now. I do that. I do that when I mark papers, and it's quite clear that uh, English is not the person's first language. Right. Um, I I literally I just give them. I, I don't even pay attention to like sentence structure. Like I might put like a little note in there, but mostly I'm like I get the gist of what this person's talking about, mm-hmm. and so I don't really focus on the grammar portion of it. UBC um, is pretty brutal for that. Like I remember I had a literature class in first year. And actually yep. a cute TA who hit on me and took me for coffee. But unfortunately I was in a monogamous relationship at the time. Mm. Single tier missed opportunities. Um, <laughs> Avenue Q's commentary on having sex with a TA. I like heard that and was like, Oh, um, but, uh, um, but I remember cause I'm pretty good at like tracking again, like what, what academia felt like to me. Cause there was a lot of disparate points of like information and I was, I was pretty mm-hmm. good at being like, I'm pretty sure this is the mark I'm going to get for this paper. Even if it was the best that I wrote, I'd be pretty sure I was going to get like a B minus or an A minus or whatever it was. Yeah. And I wrote this paper and I handed it in and I got it back with an A plus on it. And I was like, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know. Maybe she was flirting with me. I don't actually know now. Um, but I definitely went up and was like, hey, like I, I noticed you gave me an A plus and I'm not complaining. I just... I'm kind of curious, like what sort of happened or like, if I'm just like not looking at the right things, because to me, I look at this paper and I know I could have written a better paper. Like, I feel like this is like an A minus paper at best. Um, right. And I'm not saying that to like be a dick. I'm just curious, like what your marking process is like, so I can continue to get A pluses in the class. Um, and she smirked and was like, well, unfortunately UBC forces us to mark on a bell curve. And in this class, it's like a third ESL. And I was oh. like, that's horrible. That's so bad. And it's literature. It's not English. It was literature. Yeah. So it's like, you know, folks take literature in a language that they, like, I can see why that would be interesting. But yeah. then the flip side of it is getting slammed for, like, not being a first language speaker when you're writing. I'm like, that's so yeah. difficult. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I I always try to... I. I mark papers most I mark a lot of like papers from French Canadian students who are trying to write in English because they're trying to strengthen their mm. English writing skills. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes the grammar is a little bit, it's still the French grammar. So yeah. sometimes it's backwards. Mm-hmm. Um, but I usually just write a note. I'm like, I get the gist of what you're trying to say. Um, but the sentence actually goes like this. Sure. So I'll just rewrite, I'll reorder the sentence for them. Sure. And then usually I get an email back. It's like, Oh, that was super helpful. Um, so yeah, That's I just nice. try to do that, but I don't, I don't dock marks for it. Like if I understand what you're trying to right. like the trying to get across, right. it's fine. Right. Don't worry about it. It's the, the message matters more to me than like, sure. You know, how, how it was structured. That makes a lot of but, sense in criminology, yeah. especially because it's, it's yeah. about the ideas so much more than it's about like, like to be so formal and overly institutionalized or even like, um, picky about something as structural as grammar is like yeah. itself what so much of criminology in my opinion as an outsider seeks to almost undermine oh yeah <laughs> it's totally. like all of these systems are highly oppressive and problematic i'm gonna yeah. dock you marks on grammar now it's just like so fucked up when i also i remember all those times in like university like early university when i think it's it's when my adhd was really bad um mm-hmm where I would write like a 10 page paper in like a night Mm -hmm. and I would stay up all night. And so one of my things with my ADHD is I make a lot of spelling mistakes. Oh, okay. Um, the first time around and I make a lot of, I miss words. So like my brain will be like the words in there, but then I'll go back and read the sentence and I'm like, Oh, I didn't actually put it in there. (laughs) My brain just kind of filled it in automatically. And so I used to get docked for that shit all the time. And I think it's because it happened to me. I won't do it to other people right? because it just made me feel so inept and so incompetent right? to have these little tiny, and they're tiny mistakes, 
like these little mistakes constantly pointed out to me and being like, you're stupid for missing that word. You're stupid for spelling that wrong. Right. Which Uh, could also be part of the hypersensitivity. Yeah. And the truth is, is that, you know, spelling mistakes for me aren't indicative of anybody's intelligence. Um, it's just, it's just spelling. (laughs) It doesn't matter to me. (laughs) Yeah. And like, I mean, I tend to be, I tend to be someone who really, really likes order and security. So Mm -hmm. like, seeing like making sure my final product is free from spelling mistakes or grammatical mistakes is important to me, which could also be because my dad was super classist about it. And like, it had to be a certain Mm. way. And like, it was in his mind, um, an an intelligence thing. Whereas for me, it was more like, I will appreciate being corrected that I got something wrong, but it would be nice if the goal is for me to understand genetics, to not literally lose marks towards that understanding because of the way something was framed or phrased. Yeah, totally. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, oh, that's what I was going to say. We were talking about French and like, oh, yeah. and folks that are like um, struggling to learn English. There was this one time in high school and content warning, sexual assault content warning. Um, mm. This French person literally said to one of my friends, can you help me rape this cheese? And his eyes were like saucers. He was like, what did you just say to me? Oh, my God. And the guy's like, well, because in French, rapé is like to grate. Oh. So it took a couple seconds for it to click. And then he was like, oh, yeah, you can never say that in English again. <laughs> yeah. Yep. The, the difficulties makes- with language. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it just so happens that our word for that is similar to, you know, being raked across a grater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like understandable. Yeah. But very unfortunate for that poor French Canadian. Yeah. Oh, yikes. Yep. Yeah. That's rough. Yep. (laughs) So, yeah, French English challenges. (laughs) Yeah. Trying to think of if I've ever said anything that was super, super funny or out of place. Um, one of my, one of my professors once shared that her husband's white and she's, she is Thai and she was studying in Japan where he was studying and Mm -hmm. she had asked him because his Japanese was better than hers. Um, she wanted to talk about, um, the upcoming election and her husband had had a few to drink. And they're at this like fairly formal dinner, just like enjoying themselves. And she's like, how do you say election in Japanese? And he gives her the word. And so she goes back to speaking with a like wealthy dowager that she's, that she's like sitting across from this like older Japanese woman who's like super polite. And she watches as the color like drains out of this woman's face. Um, And she says nothing. And then confirmed she's like i'm sorry did you mean this other word and she's like she turns to her husband she's like what the hell did i just say and apparently he had misunderstood her accent and thought she wanted the word for (gasps) erection oh no he had given her the japanese word for erection oh no so she'd apparently used it in a formal setting which is like so culturally inappropriate Oh, that's so rough. Like, how do you feel about the upcoming boner is a very weird thing to say in a formal <laughs> conversation. The lady's like, uh, the what? Basically, yes. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. No, I don't. Okay. I have no idea what's happening. I have no idea what's happening. I have no map for this. None of my childhood prepared yeah. me for this conversation. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So I'm doing this, um, me and I know we're well off topic and talking about how ADHD affects our adult life, but perhaps a demonstration. So I was doing this, this me and white supremacy, um, book, which is super emotionally heavy as a mixed race person, Mm. um, Mm. you know, that occupies points of privilege, like, you know, speaking, um, in the local dialect and without an accent, because I was born here, you know, but also having all this like Indian heritage and like relationship to that and, um, you know, growing up with like literal white supremacists, um, there's some, you didn't, I think a lot of people didn't necessarily see them at DSS, but there were meetings and like people you knew went to meetings. 
but I don't feel appropriate like outing them on this call because I'm sure they're different people now. Yeah. Right. So I like I don't want to be a. Yeah. I... Yeah. There were definitely like people who dressed like like skinheads at our school. Yeah. Yeah. Ladner definitely like, had a sure. had a coke problem and had a skinhead problem for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, I was. Um, I was shocked. I, I think I know a couple of the people you're talking about. I was at someone's house and they started playing white supremacist music. Ooh, ouch! And I, I was like, absolutely fucking not. I'm, I'm leaving. Yeah. And she was like, Why are you going? And I was like, Because this is not okay and it's super fucked up. Um, oh, that's crazy. And I don't want to be your friend. Both of the people that I'm thinking of are guys, so I'm like, Yeah, uh, like, like I said, it had a, it had a deal Nazi problem. <laughs> Um, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so I'm doing this, um, me and white supremacy, um, 28 day journaling challenge, which is really challenging because it's focused on like white folks that want to be more sensitive and calibrated to like what white supremacy is and like in what ways right. do they hold privilege. Um, and right. there's even like, a, a there's like a content warning almost like if you are mixed race and or white passing, like this is going to be a very different experience for you. And like, you might want to get like a buddy to do this with who isn't white. <laughs> <laughs> right like, that's fair so my partner and i who are both mixed race um i don't i don't think she's white passing and she doesn't think i'm white passing but both of us think we're white passing <laughs> which is really ridiculous um i think it comes from that like invalidation and the way that we like tend to invalidate ourselves and like the way we tend to minimize our experiences um yeah yeah, yeah. you just like yeah it's, it's funny how, like, something can be so different or, like, occupy a totally different intersection of oppression. But when you talk to folks about, like, trauma and, like, what oppression looks like, I find even sometimes white folks can be like, I can understand how that would impact you. Or, like, I can understand, like, what that might feel like. Because as this, um, you know, like, as a femme or as someone who's not cisgendered, like, they can typically, like, find an analog that's similar enough that they can, like, grasp it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes it... But it's not going to be exactly of the course. same. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so I've been... But there's some level of empathy. Right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I was doing this um, this journaling challenge, and I've completely forgotten what story I was going to tell now, but TLDR, <laughs> I'm doing this journaling challenge. Wow. That was really a good demonstration of ADHD. <laughs> hey, I followed it. <laughs> <laughs> like, start story, forgets where story's going. <laughs> Run away! Oh, story of my life. <laughs> that's why I was so bad at improv is because I couldn't get to the point. Oh my God. That's great. Improv class. We had to improv like a monologue. And it had to be about this one thing. And then I went in like 45 different directions. And the teacher was like, what the fuck is happening? This isn't even funny anymore, Yana. And I was like, I'm not trying to be funny. I just wonder what's going on. Like, <laughs> I lost it. Can, can you tell me what my monologue's about? Because I don't know. <laughs> he was like, you were supposed to talk about like, making lunch and i was like oh oh yeah no that did not turn into that <laughs> so that's how we got onto bratwurst which is what led me to led me to oktoberfest which is why i talked yeah. about my trip to germany <laughs> yeah which is usually oh. really good lateral thinking for improv because you can take it in weird directions people aren't expecting yeah it's hilarious that an improv class was like improvise a monologue and you were like uh okay but it's not gonna be about what you told me it was about yeah 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 i was never very good at staying on topic <laughs> I, I resonate with that oh you know in terms of um adhd now that i'm thinking about relevant adhd things um i found that music was really helpful for getting over the being forced to sit and that anxiety and restlessness and almost like aggravated feeling you can get yeah yeah um i find if i have exactly the right music at exactly the right volume i can usually mm -hmm. sit and focus but yeah i will need to change the music every once in a while like i will need to go looking for songs i'll need to take breaks but like music has helped me so much in sitting and just in sitting still and working yeah me too um i think that's why like that's how i navigated around having to take the bus for a long period of time mm. because you have to sit on the bus. Right. So I like, I make playlists. Like I have so many playlists on my phone and a lot of them have the same 20 songs over and over because I have ADHD and that's super comforting. Totally. <laughs> Which was another thing I didn't realize, like uh, watching the same movies over and over again, listening to the same songs, 
watching the same TV shows, it was, it's a way of like self soothing. So something's really familiar and we know it really well. So it gives us that kind of dopamine rush that we're looking for. Wow. And, and our brain can like, can track exactly what's going to happen. There's no unpredictability. I never got why partners... because we're also anxious, right? Like right. we have, we have anxiety with, with that. And so knowing what's going to happen, like I've seen all of the office like 400 times and I will still put it on in the background while I do stuff because right. I know exactly what's going to happen. Right. And then you can easily screen it out and you can also <clears throat> screen it back in when you need something different. Exactly. Yeah. I will all like, I'll put it on to focus oh, because so at that smart. point it just acts as like noise in the background for me. Right. Yeah. That's brilliant. I've never thought of that coping strategy before. Yeah. It's uh, I didn't realize it until I think somebody had posted on Twitter about it, about how people with ADHD and anxiety and even autism, they seek out um, familiar novelty. I think it was called something mm. like that um, because it's a way of just like, calming your brain down where it's like okay i know this thing i know it really well i know exactly what's gonna happen this is gonna be okay oh my god i've avoided re-watching things because i have this fear of not being productive because i was just told i was unproductive as a kid so often yeah so yeah. i have this thing that if i'm not like watching new media like there's so much media being made that literally if i spent every second the rest of my life watching television i couldn't even get through the stuff i'm interested in Mm -hmm. And I'm good with that. But then every time I watch something, I try and make it something I haven't seen before. Yeah. Yeah. And I've only recently just started getting back into watching stuff. Um, sometimes that's repeat. Yeah. And that's, that's been interesting. I rewatched Battlestar Galactica once, but I think I should pick a television show. that's less depressing. <laughs> Cause I definitely feel understood watching characters be like horrifically depressed and traumatized, but I feel like as a regular background noise to my life, you know, I've already got major depressive disorder. I probably could, you know, avoid watching a lot of Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have, I, I have movies like that where people will be like, how have you seen this like 50 times? Oh. And I'm like, I don't know. Children of They're men. Like, this is the most depressing. Yeah. For me, it's a, it was a hereditary. Oh my God. Hereditary is a great movie. Or like, or like the exorcist. I've seen the exorcist sure. like a hundred times. And my mom is like, how can you watch this over and over again? And I'm just like, I don't know. I just like it. Yeah. Like, and it's because it's something that my brain just latched onto. And I think it's because it scared me a lot when I was a kid. And so I just decided to watch it over and over and over again until it didn't scare me anymore. Interesting. And so it's, again, it's one of those things I can put it on in the background and like somebody walks in and is like, what the fuck are you doing? And I'm like, I'm watching The Exorcist for the 500th time. <laughs> yep. It's like the way kids put on like Frozen or Frozen 2 in the background. Yeah. And you're just like, I cannot listen to Adina Menzel belt that song one more time. For the love of God, please turn yeah. it off. But the kids Except are fine me, with it. A, yeah. And, but for me, it's like a movie about a, a demon child. Sure. Yelling horrible curse words. <laughs> Which For was some pretty amazing. Neurotypical people who walk in, they're like, I don't know what is happening in this room, but I don't like any of it. And right. they just leave. <laughs> you're like, you're like studying or focused. And then like your mother sucks yeah. cocks in hell comes out of the background. <laughs> and then all the normal people leave the room and you're like, huh? Well, this room has less distractions in it now. Yeah. I've written. So I've, I've written a lot of papers to that movie. And I do remember <laughs> my dad walking in at one point and just going, Okay. And then closing the door. <laughs> oh, that's funny. And I was like, I can't explain why. It just helps me focus. I don't know what it is. Oh my goodness. And he's, he's just like, you're weird. I'm like, okay. It's legit. I have heard that many times also. Yeah. Speaking of anxiety and like coping with it by having something familiar for me, that's typically been like chewing. So when I was mm -hmm. in high school, I figured out listening to music and I figured out eating could really help with studying. So I just like compulsively ate when I studied to manage the anxiety and to manage the like ADHD symptoms. And I fucking knocked it out of the park. But I also mm -hmm. had a bit of an eating disorder the whole time. <laughs> 
where like from when I started studying to when I finished, I needed to be chewing on something. And then what I figured was like, if I just make that thing healthy enough, it won't have a severe in impact on my body. So I would like, I would compulsively eat raw carrots and raw celery and rice cakes and just like, just fucking went through bags of rice cakes and like bags of raw carrots. And it was just like normal for me. And yeah. you get to a point where you're like, oh, you mean you can't down three pounds of raw carrots in a sitting or like a whole bag of rice cakes? And people are like, no, no. Yeah. And I'm like, well, it's a good thing I didn't make this like Twinkies and like Twix because I could also down them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I chewed. I chewed a lot, too, when I was like in my teens. Mm hmm. Um, when I would draw because that's when I was hyper focusing. Mm. So I'd have a pencil in one hand and I'd be drawing and then I would be chewing on another one while I was drawing because it gave my brain like extra stimulation. And so I would just like gnaw pencils until they were like basically just dust. I would bite my nails until I bled. <laughs> yeah, I did that too. I just very recently stopped biting my nails. Um, Good for you because oh what did i start doing instead i started doing something else that's also equally unhealthy <laughs> i think I, I i think it's probably because i probably started pulling my leg hair out compulsively <laughs> i pull my nose hair out compulsively yeah so you just you trade one like so true horrible stimulation thing for for another one basically although i look better with no nose hair i'm good with that <laughs> yeah yeah i have a patch where i've pulled all this leg hair out Aww. i actually showed the doctor and he was like uh oh you shouldn't do that and i was like i know thanks but it's tips yeah. i think i'm, like, I'm cured yeah and he's like doesn't it hurt and i'm like no it doesn't hurt at all like it did at one point yeah my, and i found out my mom does the same thing <sighs> so like like skin picking hair pulling yep. things like that they're all like it's all so much of it is related to ADHD because we just need stimulation. So true. I used to, uh, I used to drum on stuff all the time. Um, okay. and I shake my leg pretty compulsively. Mm -hmm. It drives my husband crazy. <laughs> I shake like, my leg compulsively all of the time. All literally all the time. We were watching a movie and I didn't even realize I was doing it. And he looked down and he's like, can you fucking stop that? <laughs> And I'm like, well, I don't know what else to do. He's like, sit still. And I'm like, I can't. I literally can't. Yeah. And I shift in my seat all the time. So, like, yep. we have a podcast that we record. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes you can hear me like, and I'm shifting in the chair. Oh, my God. Early intimate interactions. I would shift oh. in my chair and you'd hear it all the time. And then what I did was yeah. I got a different chair. Yeah. Yeah. So the chair I have now is still squeaky, but less squeaky. And that's how I've gotten yeah. around it. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it's so funny listening to some of the earlier episodes that we recorded where he's like, and you like, while we're editing, you can hear him go, Yana, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I can't, I can't sit still. Yeah. I was never one of those kids who got up and left their chair mm -hmm. like a lot. I did like, I, I do it now mm -hmm. that I'm an adult because I can just wander around my apartment. Mm -hmm. But but I was always shifting or fidgeting or fiddling with something. I do that all the time where I will get up from my chair, walk to the kitchen, look in the fridge, not because I want to eat anything, close the fridge, wander into the living room, come back to my chair and sit for another five yeah. minutes. And I'll know in the first 20 seconds if my break was long enough because yeah. I'll either sit down and go, nope, and get right back yeah. up um, or I'll be ready to work another 10 minutes. Yeah, I've done that coming back from class in a break like where we had 15 minutes, like this happened in January, we came back and 15 minutes was just not long enough. So I yeah. sat down and my prof was like, okay, are we ready? And I was like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> and I left. Like, I was like, I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> uh, and he's like, he's like, Yana, you can't just, and I'm like, I can do whatever I want. You're literally paying me to be here. And you also asked me <laughs> if I was ready and I answered you honestly. And I said, no, and I'm an adult. I can do whatever I want. <laughs> That includes walking away from this conversation because I'm bored. <laughs> oh, that's solid. It's better than I used to get into fights on purpose because I was bored. Oh, no. Um, which I found out, again, is another ADHD thing. Mm -hmm. so, like arguing online with me for was like a, a way for me to 
combat boredom and stimulate my brain. I can see that. Um, yeah. And also because I really like to be right. Um, yes. So, but it was like, it was like, is this really, other than a momentary sense of satisfaction, is this really getting me anywhere? And the answer is no. And so I just abandoned it for something a little bit healthier. Yeah. I used to, I used to have those arguments <laughs> on Facebook too. And like, just sort of lay out papers and like reasoning and like thinking that yeah. I was like very much making the world a better place one conversation at a time. And then I got to a point where I was just like, now I'm talking about race related stuff online. And like this stuff takes a huge emotional toll on me. So it was like, yeah. this isn't healthy. This isn't good for me. Um, yeah. I can't really have these conversations. And I just yeah. came to the point of being like, I don't get paid for this. Like, why am I doing something that makes me upset and unhappy if I don't even get paid for it? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the, I think that's the problem with having ADHD is that any stimulation is just stimulation. Right. And so even if it doesn't feel good, it's still an adrenaline rush in some respects. Mm -hmm. And so you still get that like, Oh, I'm not bored anymore, but I'm really angry. Mm hmm but at least I'm not bored. Mm -hmm. um, which like, ugh, it's the worst. Yep. That is, I resonate with so much of what you've yeah. been saying. I chew gum, as I mentioned, but being mm -hmm. like low FODMAP, I can't chew most gum. Right. Cause I can't do xylitol or sorbitol or really any sugar alcohols. And that eliminates 90% of gum that's out there. So I'm like, okay, what can I chew? I can chew stuff that has like sugar in it, but like most things with sugar in it have high fructose corn syrup and that's like murder for my intestines. So I can't have that. Yeah. So it's like, okay, so like basically all gum is out. So I started Googling and I eventually found this like New York based company that makes, and, and this is not a plug that I'm getting paid for, um, <laughs> but uh, they make simply gum and it's so expensive, but Yana, I can actually eat this gum. And it does not make oh, me sick. Good. So I was having. How is it? It's okay. It's not. It's like so. It's forty bucks for like a box for like six mini boxes in one box, sh okay. shipped to me. So it's like not so expensive that I could never afford it. But those six boxes of gum represent about ninety pieces, and usually I need two pieces for it to be right. like enough gum in my mouth to chew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, I was always like that too. I needed like yeah, two pieces of gum at all times. Sure, um, I could easily do three because mm -hmm. one piece of gum is not enough gum. It's not as much gum as other gum, in my opinion. Yeah. But even still, even if I if I assume that I'm doing three at a time, that's still thirty uses of gum. And it's like so basically, I'm spending like about a dollar per time I chew gum. Um, right. Which is. Nest, like considering how it helps me cope with anxiety, it reduces my compulsive eating, it reduces um, my inability to focus. And I'm like, this is pretty inexpensive considering how expensive some medications are. Yeah. Yeah. And I used to grip <clears throat> my teeth and like, I don't tend to do that as much if I've been chewing a lot. <clears throat> so it just is a really good anxiety coping strategy that's still like low FODMAP enough. And the flavors are yeah. really good. There's like a a lime chili and there's like a couple of other oh they're like really tasty like random flavors there's a coffee one as well Ooh, that sounds good yeah um you'll you'll <laughs> typically like i i found that like i bought the first pack being like i don't think i'm ever going to reorder this but i need to try and find some way to cope with the anxiety and then it worked so well i bought a second pack and i'm like gah i've now paid almost a hundred dollars in gum yeah <laughs> like jeez wow yeah. Oh. The things you don't think yeah, I of. Used to, yeah. I used to grind my teeth a lot when I was a kid um, for like some kind of stimulation. Mm -hmm. um, and then what else did I do? I used to chew on my hair and stuff like that. Like just, I thought it was just normal, like stuff that kids do. I right. mean, like kids do do that stuff. But like, I feel like it was so concentrated mm -hmm. because it was a way for me to focus. Right. Um, without the access to medication, right? <clears throat> because like, if my hand is doing something, if I'm like fidgeting, like I have uh, I have like um, the wireless earbuds, mm -hmm. so I like flip the I flip the lid open and closed, <laughs> like all the time. Oh, I totally get that. Uh, I would, yeah, I would or like I used, my to pen. A, I used to have a Zippo. Yeah, I used to have a Zippo, and I would flick the lid. Yep. 
as like a while I was talking to people and they were like, please stop that. That's so, so distracting. Annoying. Yeah. And I'm like, but I can't focus if I'm not doing this. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm distracted uh, if I'm not doing the distraction. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, it's so weird because you would think that like, uh, that wouldn't be a way for you to focus. But again, it's something for part of your brain to do so that you don't just walk away from the conversation or like look at the person and be like, what you're talking about is super boring and I don't want to talk about it. Right. <laughs> or like, this just isn't holding my attention right now. Nothing against you personally, but I'm a go. Yeah. Yeah. Which is like, we don't want to be rude. Right. right. So you come up with other things that you can do. Um, yeah. So that, again, that's why I doodle sometimes when people talk, especially in lecture. Um, I find I can suck on my own teeth or my own tongue while keeping a straight mm. face and nodding empathetically. Yeah. <laughs> be like, yes, that must be so terrible for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so weird. These little things that our brains do to like make it look like we're paying attention. <laughs> yep. Also earplugs. I find um, oh. when I'm on transit, earplugs help because then I don't feel the need. I don't take all of it in at the same time. So I'm not like listening to everyone's conversations and like it can get so overwhelming and uncomfortable at times that just like having earplugs in helps a lot for me. Yeah, I, I'm one of those people who like when I was a kid, I used to listen to other people's conversations and my mom was like, that's really rude. And I'm like, well, they're talking really loud. Yeah. So. <laughs> so true and I've had people be like can you not listen on what we're saying and I'm like yeah but you're like right here and it's super <laughs> interesting even though I don't know what's going on but I would like to know what's going on right. um, and so I would like interrupt them without interrupting them by rudely listening in on what they were saying right um, and so now I just I use I, I use um, <clears throat> music and I just turn it up so I can't hear anything that's a good idea yeah the other thing that I've found that has been super interesting is you can get like portable audio recorders, right? That like reporters will use for um, getting dialogue for stories. Yeah, I have one of those in my desk somewhere. If you have yeah. monitor headphones and you can pick up really cheap Behringer mon monitor headphones um, mm -hmm. on Amazon for like 20 bucks. Um, mm -hmm. Not that I endorse supporting Jeff Bezos, but it is what it is. Mm. Um, you can get them online and you can plug them into your recorder and then just walk around. And as you point the recorder at different things in the environment, it'll change what you're listening to. What? So if you have like an H1N zoom, like one of the, one of those. Yeah. Cause that's a directional, like professional one. And then you have like monitor headphones in it. Um, and like, those are expensive. You can get them for under 200 bucks though. Um, and oh. like H1Ns, like the really, really small zoom recorders are not that expensive. When you get up to like the H5Ns, they, you're looking at like hundreds and hundreds of dollars. They get expensive. Yeah. Yeah. But they do more stuff. Like they function as a preamp for phantom power microphones. So if you have like a condenser or cardioid microphone that you take for like podcasting, also apologies mm -hmm. to folks who, if this is all jargon to you, um, <laughs> you can get phantom power right out of the H5N, which is crazy. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. In fact, I think there's an H6N now. Anyways. Oh. TLDR, there's a baby version of the microphone that's not that expensive. Um, and it's it's pretty good because it has two mics at 45 degree angles that make up both channels. So right. you can hold it between you and another person and it'll record what you're saying and it'll record what they're saying. But then you have to hold it the whole time. Oh, yeah. So it's good for like, still, it's good for short dialogue. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and especially if somebody's right, right across from you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But the neat thing about it is once you put monitor headphones in, because I learned the hard way that you always want to have monitor headphones in um, so that you can mm -hmm. hear what's being recorded. Mm -hmm. um, and you always want to record in wave. You'd never want to record an MP3 because the compressors on some of these devices suck. And then you end up getting like really low quality audio and you're like, how? It was so good. Yeah. But these are like beginner mistakes. Like we all make them at least once. Yeah, I did that when I was recording a, a phone interview. I recorded it in MP3 format instead of WAV format. Oh, no. And then when I went to transcribe it, it was, oh, God. It was, like, so hard to even listen to, to listen for anything. 
it was such a nightmare. And I te- like I texted my supervisor, um, <clears throat> my honor supervisor, and I was like, I totally fucked up and I can't do this. And she was like, she's like, take the bits of the interview that you can understand, pull that data, and we'll just figure the rest out. That's really so, that's really thoughtful. Luckily, there was the last half where there was a lot of really good information mm-hmm. um, because the person I was talking to went off on like massive tangents. Mm-hmm. And so it was supposed to be a 20 minute interview and it turned into like two hours. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like following him on this journey and I'm like, that's really cool. And then I look up and I was like, Oh shit. Uh, it's been like two hours. Right. I got to cut this real short. And I've only asked three questions. <laughs> I've done so, that. and I had 12. Oh my goodness. Um, it's just rookie, like lit- rookie yeah. interview mistakes. Yeah. But there was a lot of good data in there. Like my my supervisor said, you know, sometimes people won't answer the questions, but right. in the absence of the answer is where you can find a lot of really rich data to work with. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't a total loss, but I, I lost probably, I would say a good first half of the interview because mm-hmm. I just couldn't hear anything. That's so painful. The first time you realize yeah. like, oh God, <clears throat> I did all of this work and it's just gone. That's a heartbreaking experience. Yeah. Luckily, my second interview, I learned from my mistakes and I set everything up, texted her a picture of the recorder and like the settings it was supposed to be on. And she was like, you're good to go. And then that interview was much better. So that's very lucky to have a mentor that can like help confirm that and like allay some of the anxiety for you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, she's the best. Um, I still work with her. She's uh, I'm actually guest lecturing for her class in October, mm-hmm. um, which is really fun. Um, that's why I always tell people to like stay in touch with the professors that you really connect with because you can sometimes end up getting really good jobs out of it. You can end up getting really good opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um and you develop a really good relationship and friendship with them too. So mm-hmm. yeah. 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 I think my favorite, um, my favorite professor from, from university actually died fairly recently, which was really sad. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. Leaving behind her husband and her son. It's really, really sad. Oh, that's so awful. Yeah. She always treated have- me really well too. It was just, we had a good, yeah. we had a good relationship even after I graduated. Um, she actually, you know what? Yeah. She supported me um, on intimate interactions on Patreon. Oh, nice. Yeah. It was like incredibly thoughtful. I was not expecting like of all people. It's like, oh, this professor from university is like supporting me right now. And she did. And it was really yeah. nice. Well, that's lovely. Yeah. 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 We had, um, I can't remember what his name was. Because he, he was sort of there after I left KPU the first time. Mm-hmm. But he ended up actually starting the Prison Justice Club at KPU. Oh, that's cool. And I think he, he passed away. And I remember the president at the time of the club. Um, she's a, a friend of mine. It, she It just it took a really big toll on her, his passing. Because mm-hmm. uh, it was quite sudden. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, she was... Uh, she organized a lot of like memorial event events for him, like after I got back and joined the club. So I was like throwing memorial events for this person that I didn't really know. <clears throat> I'd only t- taken one class with him. And I think I left, I think I dropped the class actually before the drop date. Um, because I was just so overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he seemed like a really nice person and he was a really supportive prof, especially for students with learning disabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, he was really compassionate about that. So, yeah, it was good. But uh, it was so sad. It always sucks. Yeah, I find when I first started looking at the needs lists in nonviolent communication, there's this bit that talks about how um, grieving is sometimes an unmet need for meaning. Mm. And I was like, oh, that's such a neat way of thinking about it because I hadn't really conceptualized it like that before. But then the more I thought about it, the more I was like, yeah, I feel like grief is an unmet need for meaning. And if you feel like there is purpose in someone's life and death and that there's purpose in yours, grief is very passing. Yeah. And if you feel like a deep unmet desire or, or unmet need for um, a sense of meaning in that person's death, like if it feels very senseless or if like your life doesn't seem to have purpose, it can be a very like chronic kind of problem. That's such an interesting way of thinking about it. I'm thinking about um, 
one of my friends who passed away in 2010 mm-hmm. of an accidental overdose. Oh, um, that's painful. And I remember his death just kind of just destroyed me completely. And now that I'm thinking about it, especially when you said if you're if you don't feel like your your trajectory has a purpose, right? I got so wrapped up in it because I felt like, what am I even doing? Like, yeah, and it's so easy to get swallowed up by it too. Yeah. Purpose is one of those like all encompassing, overwhelming kind of questions that like a lot of us yeah. never really figure out. I don't think. Yeah. 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 Like I, I still, sometimes I, th- I think, I think about it sometimes, but if I think about it too much, I go down this existential rabbit hole spiral yeah. where I just get, incredibly depressed and I can't pull myself out of it. So thankfully ADHD is good with distractions. (laughs) (laughs) I usually get distracted and then I'm like, what was I thinking about before that? Oh, well, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And I move on to something else. I've definitely, Um, yeah, I resonate with that. Yeah. But it is, it's super easy to get pulled in, especially, um, when I was like, really depressed and still using drugs it was really easy for me to get really sucked in by tragedy yeah yeah um like by like interpersonal drama sure um and so you create chaos so that you can Mm. thrive in chaos so you can be distracted yeah yeah and so that you can feel in some way in control Right. Because you're like so out of control. And it's where you're strongest. You, you're your best yeah. self under duress because you had to be as a kid and you developed these adaptive coping strategies that now are no longer serving you. Oh, we love childhood trauma. <laughs> Don't we? Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yikes. Well, and on the lovely note of childhood trauma, um, mm. yeah, I feel like we've kind of talked in and around ADHD as an adult and what that experience is like, as well as demonstrating how off topic we can get without a script, which is totally fair. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> I'm good calling the episode there. How do you feel about that? Do you feel complete with this? I feel good with this. Yeah. Good. All right. Well, thank you so much for recording another awesome podcast. I really enjoy the time you share with me. Yeah. Thank you so much. This is awesome. I love doing this. So, and I also love talking about the fact that I can't pay attention to things. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Yana. (laughs) Thank you. Great. Oh, well, I think I took the uh, notes I needed to take for that session, so I have the like start and end times for doing the basic, the basic bitch editing that I do. Perfect. Because I literally am just like, when does it start? When does it end? Is there anything major yep. that needs to be cut out of it? Cool. The rest of it is fine. Yeah, yeah. We do a lot of the same thing when we edit. I can't edit forty minutes. It's too much, Yana. It's too much. <laughs> <sighs> so, what do you got planned for the rest of the day? Um, my package is supposed to be here, so I'm going to see if it's downstairs, um, and, I, and then I'm going to open it up. And I take it that's not a euphemism for your husband. No, no. <laughs> it's my makeup. I ordered makeup. Got it. Um, and then I have to clean my kitchen, so we'll see how far I get with that. That sounds like you uh, might have a day trying new makeups, and then be like, yeah. fuck, my kitchen's still dirty. <laughs> Yep, and then I might just take a nap at like 7 p.m. That is a solid day. Yeah, and then wake up at 11 and be like, oops. Yeah, I feel like, you know, you're in your 30s when you start taking more naps (laughs) in the middle of the day and you're like, you know what, I'm I'm okay with this. Yeah, I'm I'm comfortable with who I am. Yep. That is the hallmark. I don't need to be productive That's the hallmark of the 30s. It's like, I'm comfortable with who I am. I'm thriving. Oh, you know what we didn't do? We didn't do a clap to synchronize the audio tracks. Do you want to do that now? Sure. (laughs) So I'll count to like one, two, three, clap, and then we'll clap on the clap. So one, two, three. Oops. That's okay. We'll do it again. Okay. One, two, three. Was that? I think we got it. Okay. Um, yeah, so I'll just use that as a rough lineup and then I'll have to 
do some fine movement to try and yeah we can cool. also do some really quick talking back and forth yeah so i guess like i'll say something and then you can try and say something and then i'll say and something and i'll say something <laughs> And then I'll say something else. Okay, that, that's probably good. And then I can line those okay. up. I find sometimes like the pinpoint accuracy of the clap is really good for some pieces of software, but I don't have yeah. the money to buy those. <laughs> right, yeah. So like yeah. often, um, like for example, video editing software often has stuff like that, where literally you just drag the video and audio in. And if you have um, one long audio piece and multiple pieces of video, it'll auto align all of it for you. Oh, that's cool. It's because people who make movies do it all the time and they want yeah. software that just fucking takes care of it. Yeah, because it's such a pain in the ass. I, yeah, I have a couple friends who do editing professionally and yeah. Adobe Suite is really good for that. Yeah. But you have to pay for it. Yeah, it's really expensive. And for Oof. just like audio editing, it's like lining up tracks and even Reaper, which is professional. And I, I don't know that there is an alignment tool. Yeah. So yeah, I'll often just like the nice thing about Reaper is it does have the budge, like to nudge a track left or right, um, like however many milliseconds, it'll let you just bump a track. Oh, that's cool. It's so useful. Yeah. Yeah. How? What? What software do you use to edit? Do you just use Audacity? <laughs> we use GarageBand. Oh, cool! I've heard GarageBand <laughs> is really good. Yeah, it's not bad. Um, it's a little bit frustrating sometimes, but it's actually. It's not terrible because we just do like really basic stuff. Mm -hmm. Like it's literally Nick and I sitting on the couch, like making fun of movies and telling really stupid jokes. That's great though. It's uh, nice to have like a project <laughs> with your spouse. Yeah. It's fun. I think we've done about 10 or 11 episodes now. Cool. Are you, yeah. are you doing like a bi-weekly release schedule? We kind of do it whenever. Got it. We get the motivation to do it <laughs> totally well that's how i do intimate interactions too i just do enough of it in advance that i can cue it on a schedule otherwise i would yeah. have no hope in hell of releasing every week yeah yeah we have um like four episodes recorded mm -hmm. we just have to go through and like edit the rest of them and then drop them um but it usually like my husband does the editing because i'm just not got it focused enough to do it um and i get really frustrated really easily with it yep. because I'm, I'm not super great with finite technology got it um so he's really good at that i just listen to make sure that like the jokes are okay and we're not getting too far off topic right i find that um, like after you've done your first like 25 episodes <laughs> it'll kind of gel in a way that it wasn't before yeah yeah there's like a point we're yeah, we're and we're. I think we're getting we're getting a lot better, mm -hmm. um, but we definitely talk more <laughs> than we used to. But that's okay. Yeah, you kind of start forgetting that you're podcasting sometimes. At least I do. Mm -hmm. Other people become yeah. like acutely aware they're podcasting and go into like their podcasting self. Yeah. And I yeah. just like try not to be problematic and try to swear less and then give up on being less problematic and give up on swearing less. And then I'm just like, whatever, <laughs> it was a thing. Yeah. We mostly just like, we have like some alcohol and then just end up talking. And then sometimes we'll listen to it back and be like, oh my God, we can't put that on the internet. It, <laughs> <laughs> okay. They used to do that um, for soldiers. Um, yeah. Like the shot for courage thing apparently is actually a thing they used to do with soldiers. Yeah. It like blew me away. Yeah. I was, I was watching. So apparently I've been watching war movies with uh, my roommate. Cause my roommates, uh, he did a degree in history. He's so into like war history. Right. So I watched the four hour Gettysburg movie with him. My, oh my God. God. I didn't. So oh. when he told me it was four hours, I was like, I'm going to hate sitting for that long. And then I watched it and like yeah. two hours in, I was like, I desperately need a break. And also I'm enthralled and can't wait to see how this turns out. I literally came yeah. back and was when he first told me, I, I like threw, threw a huge fit over it. I was like, really four hours. I'm like Titanic was an epically long, like the Lord of the Rings movies weren't that long individually. I'm like, how can you make one yeah. that's four hours long? Like one movie? How, why would anyone do that? And then I watched it and I was okay. like, okay, no, it makes sense. 
because it was it was a four day siege at Gettysburg. And the crazy thing is, from that movie, I learned so much about contemporary Civil War politics. By contemporary, I mean the politics of that time. That's not what contemporary means. Um, but of, <laughs> I learned so much about like Civil War politics and like what that time period was sort of like. And mm-hmm. what I basically learned was we should all be celebrating July the 3rd, not July the 4th. July the 3rd is Pickett's Charge, when all the racists and slavers and white supremacists lined up and just fucking charged headlong into an extremely fortified position with artillery firing on them from the front and both sides. And they just got wrecked, like R-E-K-K-E-D. <laughs> like, I was literally watching it, and my roommate was like, yeah, you're about to watch like 12,000 or something men just die. Like their lives will just end in this one charge. And part of me was like, that seems like a tragic waste of life. And the other part of me was like, get fucked slavers, get fucked. <laughs> so I was, yeah, like, yeah. I was, I was very like ambivalent about the whole thing. But then I was like, yeah, you know what? I think I'm going to celebrate this every year and, and be like, you know, to the downfall of white supremacy, I'll toast people on July 3rd. <laughs> just make a holiday out of one of the most crushing defeats of the South. <laughs> yeah, apparently it's a four-day holiday oh. because the battle started um, July 1st on, on, you know, Indigenous Day or Canada Day. Um, yeah. And then their celebrations go all weekend, essentially. And then National Day, they're like, their liberation was on July 4th. So I'm like, that's a really interesting holiday that's like four days. Oh, wow. And then we watched Waterloo which is the second and probably the last war movie I'll watch for a while, which like was Napoleon's defeat. And it's basically him getting incredibly unlucky, even though he's already won a battle and then losing a battle. Oh yeah. Like Napoleon got so unlucky in that battle, which is funny because he won a lot of other battles in cases just by being really lucky or really good and really like in the right place at the right time. And then, yeah, like a third of his army um, just didn't didn't show up. So he was fighting at two thirds strength. He beat the British. And then the um, I think it's the Prussian army shows up. And ironically, he probably would have been almost okay on his own at two thirds strength, except one of his generals Mm -hmm. um, had charged all of his cavalry, super expensive, super well-trained cavalry over this hill to pursue these riflemen and the English army, which was, I think the only professional army of the age was so well drilled. They managed to form diamonds with all of their infantry, which is like this anti-cavalry position because the horses can't charge at a really, if you're shoulder to shoulder really tightly, the horses can't charge at you. So all the line infantry broke from their brigades and formed these compact diamonds. And then the horses just ride through the middle and you just shoot all of them. So (laughs) the cavalry was almost entirely ineffectual and they just wrecked all of Napoleon's cavalry. And he didn't even order the charge. He invented this core system that was pretty um, decentralized for power. So his generals had a lot of autonomy. And then one of his generals made a really bad choice that got himself killed and everybody else in his unit. And that was like a huge part of Napoleon's army was the cavalry and he didn't need them as badly against the British but he desperately needed them against the Prussians and they were all dead by the time the Prussians showed up. So even though he beat the English at two thirds strength, when the Prussians showed up, his third of the army was supposed to be managing that situation. And they just like lost them and never found them. And then they heard cannon fire and didn't turn around to come back. So apparently Napoleon was dragged off the field screaming, where is Bougie? Who is his general that left and did not come back? Oh, God. He was so sour that he got defeated by just, like, <laughs> like attention-focusing, ironically, in the same way that people get attention blindness who don't have ADHD. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of his generals got attention blindness and just, like, did the wrong thing. And, uh, yeah. Then he lost <laughs> and was deposed. God. Oh, and it's, it's crazy, too, because, so like, he shouldn't have gotten a second chance after he was defeated the first time and went into um, and went into exile. The funniest part of that movie, I still think, hands down, is when the Prussians show up and he realizes all of his cavalry are dead and his army is not coming back together. And he's just like, I'm so fucked. And he face palms oh. and goes, I should have burnt Berlin when I had the chance because he because <laughs> he'd conquered it at one point. Right. 
Yeah. And he was like, great, this will be part of the great republic that, like, Europe becomes. Because, like, his idea of a French empire, of course, is any crazy imperialist tyrant is going to, you know, is like, oh, this is going to be, like, the seat of the world. And we're, it's going to be so amazing. And we'll remake it with all of our best ideas. Um, so he was still in a very constructive mindset. But there at his defeat at Waterloo, as all the Prussians show up with their fucking huge, heavy armored cavalry. And he's like, I just needed to not lose all my cavalry. And he's sitting there Ooh. in his defeat and he's like, ah, I should have burnt Berlin. It's just like, it's such a good line. It's like, <laughs> but like from that perspective in his life, he's like, I wish I just burnt it to the ground and they never would have recovered as a people. It's just like such oh, a horrific God. thought, but like, uh, it's, it's just such a funny moment of like a dictator in hindsight being like, I should have been more genocidal and I regret being such a like non-genocidal conqueror. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I know, right? It's like highly problematic as all war movies tend to be. Um Yeah. But it was yeah, hard yeah. not to laugh because you're like, he's literally just sitting there with the biggest face palm being like, I wish I'd committed more genocide. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> fuck. <laughs> oh, mercy. oh my god. So yeah, war movies can sometimes <sighs> be fun in a highly problematic way. <laughs> is what I learned, <laughs> the more you know. Yeah. Damn. I am all talked out. How are you doing? Oh, yeah, me too. Cool. Oh, I didn't get enough sleep last night, so I'm like wired. I just realized that I have That's therapy okay. at 2 p.m. my time, which is in two minutes. So <laughs> I apparently <laughs> just knew that I was all talked out. And I was like, great, this is the time to have to go to therapy, to get to go to therapy. To, <laughs> to like reframe in my head. Oh no, wonderful. I left an hour. I actually have it starting at three. That's great. Ah, preparation. Oh. All right. I think I'm going to um, go deal with all my stuff, but I really enjoy your talks and I really appreciate you as a friend. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I'm super happy to do this anytime. Yay. <laughs> we should do more sometime. Yay. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, all the love. Okay. Take care of yourself. Give my best to Nick, and I will chat Bye, with you later. I will. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye. So, how was it, Intimates? Did you love something you heard, or maybe you're upset by something I said? Leave your comments on Facebook.com/intimateinteractions, or you can go to Patreon.com/victorsalmon, where you can find our Discord server. All of these communities are available on IntimatePodcast.com, and I genuinely look forward to speaking with you soon. If you liked it, please consider helping us pay for show costs over at Patreon for as little as $1 per month. It's incredibly helpful. It's just a dollar a month. If you can afford it, we would hugely appreciate having your support. And hey, if that doesn't work for you, I completely understand. You can also help out by going to leave a review on iTunes or other favorite social media platform. Social proof like that helps so much with visibility and audience building. It helps other intimacy and relationship nerds find us. And if any of that just sounds like too much work, you can always do something really simple and it still goes a long way. Something like just tapping share and sending an episode that you liked, maybe a favorite, to a friend or partner, or maybe you can send them something you think they might really like. That's probably more considerate. <laughs> Thanks so much for your time and for your help in keeping us making more of Intimate Interactions. Oh yeah, I almost forgot. The intro music was Driving in the Rain by Timecrawler, and this outro music is Acoustic Blues by Jason Shaw. <laughs>